July the 15th, and this is Lesson 32. Looking at the Beatitudes, and uh, we were looking at peacemaking last week, I shared with you that there was a good, good bit of information here and uh, didn't really get through everything last week that I wanted to, to share with you as we begin looking from chapter 5, verse 9, where the Word tells us, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of of God. And we touched on a couple of things last week, not to go back over everything, but to just kind of bring us back into focus uh, and look at what we have covered. We talked about our peacemaking uh, being sealed, first of all, by Christ and the work that He has done. We talked about the necessity of having peace within ourselves, and we went to Colossians chapter 1 and, and looked at that. We might revisit some of that this morning in a little different context. And then we looked at peacemaking from our standpoint, that having had peace or received the peace that Christ has accomplished uh, between us and Him through Christ's sacrificial death and what He has provided for us, that we are now part of that process in bringing peace to other people in all different kinds of situations. Yes, uh, spiritual peace, if you will, or peace in a person's relationship with God, because for sure, if a person is without Christ, they have no peace. In fact, the Bible says that there's enmity there. And we pray that God would continue to use us in that regard, because that's what He has called us to, in part. It's the focal point of all of our peacemaking. And by that I mean it's making sure and, and, and giving uh, attention, first off, to a person's relationship with Jesus Christ. We even said that uh, as we look at peacemaking, that most, mo well, everything that happens outside of an effort for peace that doesn't deal with sinfulness in our relationship to God is really not peace in and of itself. It's really just a truce. That's what it is. It's just, as you would say, a temporary stay of hostilities or cessation of hostilities. And we can think of that in terms of uh, you know, politics. We got people going from this country, good morning, over to another country and trying to make peace. You know, we look back over history and you look at personalities like, you know, Roosevelt and Henry Kissinger and even Jimmy Carter, you know, he's been slated with uh, bringing peace to Israel. I mean, what a mouthful, okay? <laughs> uh, but it was a temporary cessation, wasn't it, of hostilities. Well, Christ is the focal point when it comes to peace and experiencing peace in our life. And, you know, I guess the unbelieving world would say, now, wait a minute, this, uh, this issue about Christ and peace with Christ, every single thing that deals with peace and finding that kind of peace to reside in our hearts, really to, to provide what we need, that surely can't be related to every single issue in our life where we are experiencing an absence of peace. And our answer to that was, well, yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. Everything goes back, usually, to our sinfulness in some fashion, something that we've omitted, something that we've overlooked, something that we've chosen to hang on to in our life that will eventually cost us something if it's a part of God's will, if it's not in line with His Word. And for that, we get, a lot of, we get a lot of grief from the unbelieving world because that's just too narrow for the world. Surely everything is not related to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Because He's not just our Savior. He is our Lord. So that's... That's job number one. That's the thing that gets our attention up front, both regarding our relationship and then as we seek to help other people find peace. This is always true, always manifests itself. I know when we were dealing with, with guys who were in the, the program, when we was teaching in the His Steps program, the residency program, because you never know where people are. And most people come in and they want to focus on the problem they want to focus on their addiction or whatever is, is bothering them. But if we never get to the real issue about why they desire those kind of things or why they feel like they need those kind of things, if we never get right down to it, 
the fire just doesn't get built, if you will, if you'll bear that metaphor, for change. It doesn't. And whatever happens is always temporary. So we know that Christ, quite simply, is the answer. And when we give attention to his word in every aspect of our life, then we begin to see real peace. And the Bible has a lot to say about peace. Well, I want to go back this morning and, and, and pick up where I left off to finish, finish up our lesson on blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, we may touch on a couple of things twice, but that'll, that'll be okay. Um, the work of peacemaking will always and does call for a priority of action on our part. If we're going to make peace, be involved in bringing a different level of peace, if you will, into our own life, even as believers, we may be experiencing something that we could describe perhaps as a lack of peace in our life. You know, that could be also described as the Holy Spirit getting our attention over something or the Word uh, coming to bear on our, li on our life about a particular issue in our life, not necessarily something that's amiss in our life or sinful, really, uh, maybe even a challenge. Uh, I know I've experienced something that I could rightly define as a lack of peace because God is getting my attention over something. And quite frankly, he's beginning to give me the opportunity to deal, I guess you could say, with whether or not I'm going to be obedient. And any time there's a, listen, there's, there's just a struggle there. If there's just a struggle between what God wants from me, what he's going to require from me, and what I'm willing to do out of simple obedience, it affects my peace. It begins to erode a bit and that gets my attention and if we truly have a relationship with Christ through his word we're going to have the same experience we're going to know that something's wrong it's it's the same dynamic with your spouse okay it's that time when you when you know something's not quite right okay and you pursue that you pursue that we certainly pursue that in our relationship to Christ. Lord, what are you saying? Why am I restless in my spirit? And normally that would drive us to his word. That would drive us, call us, if you like that, to our knees to pull away from the cares of the world. And even sometimes the opinions of the world, the world's take, if you will, on any issue we might de be dealing with and particularly look and listen to what the, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is doing and saying in our life. And I'm thankful for that. And I can even say that I'm thankful, and looking back, for that level, if you will, of a lack of peace, because I know what that means. Yeah, I know what that means. That means that God is involved in my life, that He's pointing out something in my life that needs attention, or He's preparing me, He's preparing my heart to be willing to move forward in obedience, that He might continue to accomplish whatever it is He wants to accomplish in my life. So we can talk about that, think about all of that under this broader heading of peace, if you will. When that's upon us, we have to make time. We have to involve ourselves in action. We must be willing to go. We must be willing to do. We must be willing to speak. Sometimes we must be willing to shut up and to be quiet and to listen to what God is doing if we are to be agents of peace. And I look at the scripture. Uh, we can look ahead, really, in chapter 5 of Matthew here that we're already in. But if you look up to chapter 23, or I'm sorry, chapter, still in chapter 5, but verse 23 and 24, you'll read. It says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, you are to leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. And this is a, a really good example here when I say that 
seeking peace, being an agent of peace, particularly in the lives of other people, is going to require us to do something. It's going to require action on our part. But notice here that it requires an inward look as well, does it not? That to make sure that we are prepared, that there's nothing on our heart that would hinder us. The context here is hinder us from worship, but also to hinder us from service. We always want to be able to hear the voice of God clearly, do we not? We don't want it to be muddled by our own past experiences necessarily. Those should be considered. Or maybe even the advice that we're getting from others. We want to hear the voice of God through His Word and be obedient to that. But again, here in the context of worship, rest assured, we cannot worship where conflict exists. And this example here tells us that as much as is within us, another scripture would say, we are to live peaceably with all people. And if something is laid upon our heart, has nothing to do with who's at fault, has nothing to do with who might be responsible for this misunderstanding or whatever. No, what it has to do with is the person who, first off, is not just focused upon themselves, they're focused upon others. Now, this is the admonition that we have throughout Scripture time and time again through the words of the Apostle Paul. Think upon others, right? And literally, it's a person who at least has enough understanding or is willing to be obedient and literally take the high road. I like that phrase because somebody has to do that where there's conflict. Somebody has to look beyond the difficulty, you know, the... the the bad feelings, if you will, sometimes even the rejection, the unfairness that might have been expressed as the uh, situation was discussed or whatever. And this is, is given to us here with a level of priority. He says, first, first be reconciled to your brother. Now, obviously, it's talking about making every effort you can because reconciliation is always a two-way street, isn't it? It's always a two-way street. And yeah, uh, we hope for the very best. We hope for the Word of God, the Spirit of God to come to rest on an issue in such a way that the way would be made clear, that parties would be led to uh, confess and to repent and to do whatever is necessary if that's required in the situation. That's what we shoot for. But so many times we have to just settle for the fact that, Lord, I've been obedient to your word. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to do. Um, what, I don't know what else. I, I'm going to have to go, go my way. I'm going to have to go on and do this. And it has more to do with our attitude. We continue to pray for people and to lift people up. Always, again with Paul's example, understanding that our own evaluation of our heart may not always be sufficient. And we know that on that day when we give an account, we'll, we'll give an account of things that probably weren't very clear to us in this life simply because of our fleshliness, simply because we're not entirely capable of doing that. And we trust that God would use the Word to... Literally, uh, act as a mirror, if you will, in our life. When we evaluate our life, our thoughts, our actions, everything, that the power of God's Word would first and foremost reveal to us the truth of our own situation, our own motivations, the deep things that only God knows about that exist in our hearts. So we're to try and we're to put forth every effort believing in that process. That when we approach it in that fashion, with a pure heart and with love, with a desire for God to be magnified, that the truth can be made known in a situation and peace can be restored. This would be what we shoot for. And then again in the 25th verse, still in Matthew 5, he gives another example. And he says here, he says, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way. He's talking about on the way to see the judge, I suppose, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. What's he talking about here? There's a difficulty that exists. 
this issue of reconciliation or making things right is to be pursued. And he tells us, and he indicates here, it's to be sought eagerly. Should be our eager desire to bring things to an acceptable conclusion. Do it eagerly, do it aggressively, and do it quickly. Just like before he talked about first go and be reconciled. Here we do it quickly. That should be our desire. And then again from verse 38 of the same chapter, chapter 5. Christ says, you've heard that it was said, and he goes way back to Exodus and Deuteronomy here, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What's that called? Who knows what that's called? Lex talionis. Okay. <laughs> okay. And that was given to make sure that, that didn't have any, that wasn't about relationships. That wasn't that what that was about. That was making sure that in the civil process for Israel, that uh, when something was decided, that there was a, uh, I can't think of the word, or, uh, not retribution, but um, what's the word when you pay back something that you owe? What was that? Retaliation? I don't know. When you, yeah, when you give... When you give something to make it right, restitution, thank you, dear, appreciate that. It just left me. When you give something or require something through the law, it must be equitable. It must be right. Okay, this is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It must not be extravagant. You must not take advantage of it. That was dealing with something else. It's not talking about relationships per se. And then the Jews came behind that and added more to it. Christ says, he says, uh, you know, he refers to the law there from um, Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But in 39, he says, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Is this the way people think? And I use people in general. Let me ask you specifically. Is this the way people think in the church of Jesus Christ? Do we always think like this? Do we always think in terms of giving up our rights? Are we not often overly concerned with saving face and how something appears to others about us? We're simply to speak the truth and to model the truth in those situations, particularly situations where we're wrongly accused or even perhaps publicly accused of something. Are we willing to give up our rights for the cause of grace? Do we truly believe that if we magnify uh, in our own reactions and thinking the person of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, the, the, the gifts of the, not the gifts of the Spirit, but the works of the Spirit in our life, the love and the joy and the peace and all the things that should come out of us because of our relationship with Christ, that if we truly live in that fashion, that God will use our life, He will use that truth, He will use that obedience to make the truth known. And we're either committed to that or we're not. We, we can either give a situation over to God, having done as best as we can understand everything that the Word would require of us as individuals. We just got through reading about the obligation to get up and to act, right? To first be reconciled and to do that quickly. Do we truly trust God to do that work? Or do we think we better stand up toe-to-toe, and uh, protect our own rights, protect our own reputation or whatever. All we have to do is speak the truth in love. That's really all we have to do. Just speak the truth of a situation in love. Now, if that truth might involve the fact that we were maybe a little off base or we were a little fleshly or we were a little worldly perhaps in a response to someone and we might be rightly accused. If we really love the truth, we'll accept that. We'll admit that. 
And we'll leave the consequences of that truth to God. Because it's also better described, perhaps, as the consequences of our obedience. Because He's already told us to go and to make every effort to make things right as much as we can, to do what we can. We don't like giving up our rights. But when we take opportunity to demonstrate grace in a situation where we have perhaps been legitimately wronged, we exercise grace in that situation. Trust me, God's still teaching me in this area, but of late, well, not of late really, about three years ago, and I won't go back and share a situation with you from my work, but I had an opportunity to demonstrate grace in the face of, oh, just a horrendous uh, accusation which somebody, somebody made, um, and it was just, just one, of those th- one of those things. But I don't know, it's like God said, no, grace, just demonstrate grace. And God has worked through that. He has. That's a difficult thing to do. And you know, we can add to Christ is our example in that, is he not? He is our example. You know, it has to be enough for us to speak the truth into a situation, period. Period. That's what we are to do. I think about Paul before Festus and before Felix and before Agrippa. And I think about what he did. He didn't get up there and try to defend himself, you know, in the traditional sense. He took it as an opportunity to speak the truth. Remember, he knew where he was going to wind up, right? He knew that he was going to be taking the word into these places, these highest places of government. He he didn't you know, maybe he thought, oh, I'm going to be elevated in my religion. I'm going to perhaps be a, a notable leader of this, you know, sect of the Nazarenes, and they're going to accept me, and they're going to invite me in. That's not what happened, was it? And he wound up there, did he not? Even when he wanted, his heart was purposed to go to Jerusalem. He winds up in Rome because that's where God was going to put him and did put him. And he spoke the truth about what had happened to him and why he served the true and living God. And the truth was enough. One guy, the Bible indicates that his knees began to shake. I forget if it was Festus or Felix. I think it was Felix. But he said his knees began to quake. Agrippa begins to deal with the truth that Paul is putting out. And he says, Paul, actually what he says is, Paul, are you trying to convert me? Is that what you're trying to do? He got him thinking about it. He got him thinking. And he was respectful. He was subordinate. I know that you're, uh, uh, you have understanding, O oh, King Agrippa, about these matters. I'm actually glad that I'm making my defense before you. I don't think we would want to say that Paul was buttering him up, okay? But he was respectful. He was respectful. He was subordinate. And he spoke the truth. That's the, that's the wonder of what we believe. The truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ is the strength of what we believe. The power of the Word of God in a person's life. It doesn't need any frills from us. We just need to be obedient to it. We need to live it. We need to know what it says about our life. And I can assure you, when we yield to that, we will experience peace. It may appear that things are crumbling around us. But we will be at peace if we know that we're in the center of God's will, that we're where we're supposed to be, that we're taking opportunity to speak for Him and to be His servant. And then again from Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, Jesus was referring, to, I'm sure, to Leviticus 19.18. It says plainly there, it talks about loving your neighbor. But the Jews had added, hate your enemy. They had added that and felt as though they were right in doing that. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray, what power? Pray for those who persecute you. 
so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, it's going to be manifested and like no other way that you do belong to Jesus Christ. We're sons of our Father. So love, even toward our enemies, is the characteristic of the Christian. We believe in that power. And you mix that with the other truths of God's Word, and it will do its work. And it has that great potential to change a person's mind, to change their heart, and ultimately their actions. So it calls this... This uh, work of peacemaking calls for a priority of action on our part. And I share that with you from the latter part of chapter 5 here in Matthew. We'll probably deal with that fairly quickly when we get to it again later on. (coughs) Well, it's been said, and it's the truth, and we've said it here many times, only the Lord can make peace, true peace. You've seen that sign. I see it frequently, usually on some church sign it'll say no god no peace you know n-o god n-o peace and then no god no peace k-n-o and that's true very simple but true we must be reconciled to god first in order for peace to be realized i wanted to look at colossians i marked it here we talk about that looking at colossians chapter 1 Verses 21 through 23, Colossians 1, 21 through 23, as we begin to look at this work of reconciliation and and how that's uh, laid out for us as a participant, what that means for us regarding this issue of peace in our life and peace in the lives of others. And although he says in verse 21, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His flesh, in His fleshly body rather, through death, in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, You have heard which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. And this does a couple of things. It highlights once again that the true strength behind our efforts to make peace with others or to be an agent of peace in the lives of others goes first and foremost to our own peace with Jesus Christ. And we look to Him. And Paul was telling these folks here, now the context here, he's talking about being reconciled to Christ. And we're talking about the necessity of this, again, in making sure that we are able to be used as an agent of peace. And if we are in right relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to make sure also that we are in right fellowship with Him. Don't try to involve yourselves in the deep matters of peacemaking with other people, quite frankly, if there's sin on your heart. If there's sin in your life, if there's something unconfessed, it will be a hindrance. You will not be able to hear clearly. That's why he said earlier, you know, even in the context of worship, go and make it right first off. The attention is on you as an individual to make sure that we're open to the voice of God, the Word of God, and we're going to be true to that. Then he's going to go on and talk more about our role and reconciliation. And you can go to chapter 2, looking at verse 13 and 14 briefly. And he reminds us again in the church here at Colossae, he says, When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you all together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. How important is it for us to understand that the strength and the wisdom that we need to intervene in a situation, 
Uh, we're talking about we're talking about sometimes even life and death. We're certainly talking about eternal life and death as we share and as we uh, work to help people find true peace in their heart. How important is it for us to understand that the work has already been done, that we don't really have anything. We're just trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ in our own life. And we're trusting very practically right now in a situation, we're trusting Him to open up our hearts, our minds, to fill us with His knowledge about a particular situation. Once again, if we're going to be used of Him, we have to be in right fellowship with Him. Yeah. It's akin to the verse, you know, it talks about getting the beam out of your own eye if you're going to help someone else, right? You can see the parallel there. And when we begin to focus on that, at least initially, focusing on our um, usefulness, if you will, we come before God and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for what you've done in my heart and life. I'm thankful for the truth of your message. I want to hear clearly. You know, I want to be used in this situation to bring peace. And there will always be these efforts. This is the nature of, of human beings, even in the church. It's a constant effort. Because as I often say, and I say again this morning, the battle continues. There's a real battle going on. We want to hear his voice clearly. We want to be able to trust him. I don't always know the answers. I sit down with folks in counsel. For the, I'd hate to do it over the phone. Or I'm talking with someone. Um, you do what you have to do. But you get to a point where it's like, Lord, you know, illuminate my mind. Show me. Show me in your word, okay? Bring to mind what I need to know right now. This is not mystical. This is the Spirit of God working within us as we yield to Him, very practically. And that has to be our strength. And I tell you, He never fails to show up. I will share this with you. I've had things on my mind at night before regarding ministries. I, you know, I'm there in... in um, Maybe sitting in my recliner and just thinking about something I got to do, or it seems like it's almost often. I don't know why it is when I lay down at night and I'm looking up and there's nothing but <laughs> darkness. You really have to come away, don't you? You have to get everything else out of here. And the Lord will lay something on my mind, and I'll have to get up and go look, you know, and in the Word and find that anchor in His Word, and, and it's like there, there it is. And it's not about this individual or these individuals, but it's about me. It's about me. I can't be used until I do this, until I make sure this is right, that it's an attitude, it's a direction that I'm going. Well, what is my motivation here? Do you follow what I'm saying this morning? God is saying, this is what I'm concerned about first. I'm, I'm going to sharpen this tool before I can use it. You know, and that's what He does. God the Father is the source of our peace. And Christ is the manifestation and the mediator of that peace. And the Holy Spirit is the agent of that peace. As one would say nowadays, that's how we roll. Okay? That's how we roll. Those are the truths that we hang to. In John 16:33, Christ says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In Him. This is why He spoke, we can have peace. Now, He's talking about peace with God, you know, peace in our heart. Uh, but He adds, for those who've experienced that, in the world, you have tribulation. You're going to have it. It's going to be unavoidable. It's going to be tribulation. It's not just going to be a thing that we acknowledge. It's going to be something that we feel, that we have to work through, that we have to get in and be a part of to find the truth and to deal with it. You'll have that tribulation, but he encourages us. He says, take courage. Be encouraged. Why? How? Because he says, I have overcome the world. So once again, he is our strength. He is our focus. His word provides every thing that we, as he says, could ever ask or hope for that we need. In the first part, of course, of the, the ver or chapter 16 of the Gospel of John here, you know, he's going to talk about the Helper in verse 7. And we know that that's the Holy Spirit. 
And we have that constantly. We have that continually with us, the indwelling power, if you will, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God to encourage us and to remind us about the provisions that God has made for us in our life. We're not without ammunition here in our efforts for peacemaking. Trouble's going to come. He mentions it in verse 32 as well. It's going to happen. But when we focus upon Him, we'll be able to hear Him clearly and be effective in what we do. Earlier in John 14, He said, Peace I leave with you. Christ says, My peace I give to you. And He clarifies it. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The world has a a phony. The the world has a fake kind of peace, right? It's it's composed of notoriety and, and, uh, you know, material things and and a a certain kind of worldly power and all these kinds of things that people think they have to have in order to be at peace with themselves. They have a truce. And it's a phony truce if they don't have Christ. Because there's a day coming, right? There's a day coming when they're at death's door If they have those few precious moments before they cross that threshold and it's not something that's sudden upon them, when they're going to weigh all of that, they're going to see, they're going to go to that and they're going to weigh it instantaneously. And they're going to hope that it's enough. And the Bible is clear. It's not enough. It could never be enough. In fact, it's a delusion is what it is. It's a delusion. Only the Word of God can help a person understand that. Help a person work through that. You know, the hardest people to witness to is those that you have to try and convince that they need Christ. They have no awareness of their great need because they see their need as physical things, material things. And if all those things are met... They may be bored, and eventually they will be bored. Um, But those things, as we know, don't meet those needs. They don't satisfy. And getting a person to realize that is difficult. God often uses difficult circumstances to turn us to Him. I have people that I share Christ with, that I pray for, that don't know Christ. And I've told a couple of them, you know, I I think your issue is that you hadn't heard enough. That's your issue. Everything's too good for you. You're enjoying life. You have friends. You have money. You have success in the world's realm. What do I need? It's the whole thing. Hey, I'll build bigger barns. That's what the Scripture says. I've got all this. I'll just have some more. Nothing about our obligation to God. Nothing about helping others. Nothing about some inward look to make sure that we're focused upon the power of Christ in our life, that we're rightly motivated. My peace, he says, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Fearful. We're confident in Christ. You know, he tells us not to be anxious for anything. And he speaks in Ephesians chapter 4 there about that peace that passes All understanding, as one translation says, I like the one that says, a peace that passes. It's not just a level of understanding, but it says it's a level of comprehension. A peace that passes all comprehension. Is this not what we want? So, you know, when Mike, you asked me to put my faith in something that I literally can't understand, but I can experience, yeah, we'll never understand that. But the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer who's seeking peace in their own life and being willing to be used as an agent of peace in the lives of others must cling to this great truth that God can provide a peace that passes all comprehension. Well, how do we know when we're there? How do we know when we've realized that? Well, when you know that your own self-introspection reveals nothing, when compared against the Word of God, it reveals nothing, no area, as best we know, 
wherein we need to come clean, you know, seek forgiveness over an issue or whatever. Just that good, good, calm assurance, that presence within us, that having made ourselves totally available to the, the scrutiny of God's Word and His Spirit, we don't, we don't know of anything. And yet, even with that, we leave ourselves open to hear the voice of God over any issue in our life. Only those who belong to the Maker of Peace can be messengers of peace. This is what we know to be true. This is a humbling and noble position for us. Humbling to know that we don't deserve that. That we could actually be used as an agent of peace. But it's right where we need to be. When you think about reconciliation, surely your mind goes to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We begin in verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There it is. Believers have the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed us, or He has committed to us, the word of reconciliation, the word of God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. And he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This goes back to what we were talking about to begin with. This is where peace begins. This is our focus. You've got you to know who you're dealing with if you're helping that person find peace. You've got to know as best you can where they are with the Lord, if you, if you will. Do they know Christ? And are they familiar with what His Word has to say about a particular situation? Are they capable, even capable of receiving it? And, ca- and being capable means that they do indeed possess the Holy Spirit of God. If they don't, you ain't going to get it. Okay, believe me, they're not going to get it. You've got to go back to square one. You can speak the truth about a situation, but their motivations won't be right until they have a new heart. Really. Only God can do that. We talk about four characteristics of peacemakers, and I'll finish up here. That is that we must make peace with God first in ourselves. I've covered that. (coughs) God gives us a promise in Philippians 4-7 that we shared where He said, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that word guard is talking about providing as well. Providing. In Colossians 3.15, it focuses upon the power that we have because of Christ and the Word. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, of which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. In other words, this peace that we have with Christ that we've focused on here is our strength. He says, let it rule in your heart. This is where your strength, your power comes from. Ephesians 6.15, lastly here, and having shod your feet, he says, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have the message. We have the provision. It's been given over to us, we read there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are ministers of reconciliation. He says we are ambassadors of Christ. And, and he says it's as though... And it's in the emphatic that God is working through us to call people to be reconciled. And he says, we beg you, we we plead with you, be reconciled to Christ. This has to be, first and foremost, our motivation. And secondly, peacemakers lead others to make peace with God. G. Campbell Morgan commented, he said, peacemaking the propagated character of the man who, exemplifying all the rest of the Beatitudes, thereby brings peace wherever he comes. Remember, we've talked about the progression of these Beatitudes that we've been looking at. and We're on the pinnacle right here, right? We're toward the top. We're just under those who are being persecuted for the sake of Christ. He talks about being willing to make a peacemaker. These are the people who are identified. They're notable. 
They're recognizable as the sons of God because of what they are, because of who they are, because of what's manifested in their life. And he's right in saying, Morgan is, this, this is naturally going to come through. Thirdly, a peacemaker helps others make peace with others. We can speak peace into a situation. We are to build bridges between men and God and between men and other men. The first step in the bridge building process is often to rebuke others about their sin, which is the supreme barrier to peace. We've talked about that. We can't overlook that. We must be willing to pay the price, if you will, of additional turmoil. Misunderstandings or hurt feelings or even resentment. Our motivation must be the love of Christ and a firm and confident conviction that His way is the right way. It's the productive way. And that's why I said earlier, just simply, when you don't know what to do and when you're trying to bear up under ridicule or your message is not being received, you're trying to bring peace to a situation, I'm just simple enough to believe if you speak the truth in genuine love, the message will come through. Why can I say that? Well, because ashamedly, I've tried to do it another way in my past life, and I've learned the hard way. But I can also say, in just yielding to God's grace, speak the truth in love, and God will work through a situation. And then lastly, fourthly, as peacemakers, we must labor to find that point of agreement when we're talking about trying to <coughs> bring peace amongst people. God's people, he says, are to contend. I'm giving you commentary here from MacArthur here. God's people are to contend without being contentious. They're to disagree without being disagreeable. And they're to comfort without being abusive. This has to do with attitude. This has to do with making sure, as we said earlier, that there's not a beam in your eye, as we said, if you're trying to help somebody else get the beam out of theirs. We're patient with the blindness and the stubbornness to disagree without being disagreeable. We want to be able to do that. We see this blindness and stubbornness of others and we're able to deal with it because, quite frankly, we know the Lord's been patient with us. We know what we deserve. We know what we've received from God. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness and for holiness in our own life. God answers those prayers. He makes those changes. He grows us. We grow in the grace, as Peter says, and in the knowledge of our Lord, we yield to Him. We get to our trust to the point, like Paul said, said, my desire is to know Him. I just want to know Him. Intimately is what he's saying. I want to know Him. I want to understand and be a part of the power of His resurrection. And I want to be a part, I'm willing to be a part of the fellowship, if you will, of His sufferings. Speaking the truth can bring additional suffering in our life. But he says we're sons of God. We're sons of God. Romans 8, 16, 7, uh, 17 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, also heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. You know, that Greek word for children is, is that word technon, a very tender word, an affectionate word, a word that speaks of endearment. You, you saw, if you'd have seen me this morning, as I drove up, my grandkids were getting out, and I had to run down there and cuddle them up. That's what he's talking about. And here in this Romans passage, he uses the word heirs, an inheritor, to something that's already been determined. There's been an appropriation, if you will, something set aside. That's what God has for us. We are sons of God, and we are heirs, as he says. <clears throat> and from the Matthew 5, 9, where he says sons of God, the word sons there, he uses the word huios, which expresses dignity and honor in that relationship. You see that clearly if you go back and do the study, if you will, on the, the prodigal son and that, that older brother, if you will. All these words, you get into these words about a child and a son and an heir, they become, become very important. They were very important to the Jewish mind. 
Christ is talking about, what's been set aside for us, will always be known as the children of God. That's what the, the words that are used there, that's what it means. And it can say that <clears throat> because there's an inner reality. We, we do exemplify the person of Christ. Our, our goal has to be more, is to be more like Him in our dealings, to grow, to be transformed, if you will. There's a quote here from a book that I'm using for our study here from uh, the Sermon on the Mount book. He says, Jesus, Jesus' disciples will be recognized as God's children in eschatological judgment, not merely because they claim to be His children, but rather because they resemble Him in their character and in their behavior. So let's end with that this morning. Lord, we do pray this morning that we would resemble You in our character and our behavior. After having first sought peace with You, both regarding our relationship with You and our continual fellowship with You, that, Lord, we can be used in the lives of others to speak the truth in love and to bring Your Word and Your power to rest on any situation. Lord, we acknowledge that that is Your work. Ultimately, specifically, it is Your work and it's only possible because of the sacrifice of Christ. We thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you would help us to be obedient in those things. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.